The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Be with me, speaker for the hour, that I may diminish, Lord, as always, that you may increase, that you may be exalted, you may be glorified in today's message. May someone here today, Lord, receive a word of encouragement to see that we do serve a big God, an awesome God, a faithful God who is able to break down walls, strongholds, to deliver, to save that God. So, Lord, let me diminish not, you may increase. And I pray this in the matchless name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. We have been in the book of Joshua for the last several weeks. This is the fifth message in this series, Into the Promised Land. We see where God had delivered the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness 40 years because of unbelief. And now God had delivered them to the Jordan River. And then he miraculously, supernaturally parted that river that they crossed over into the new land, the land that he had promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, on dry ground. That was a miracle in their presence. Our text for today is taken from the book of Joshua, chapter 6. Before that, I just want to just do a little paragraph here. It says, God delivered the children of Israel into the promised land by miraculously parting the Jordan River for them to cross over the raging river that that was at flood stage on dry ground. The inhabitants of the city of Jericho who witnessed the miracle also were terrified of the Israelites because God had done for Joshua what he'd done for Moses 40 years earlier. They remembered what God has done, and they remembered that God had delivered the Israelites through the Red Sea miraculously, and he is now going to deliver the land that he promised to their forefathers to them, the land in which they dwelled. But victory for the Israelites today was assured because of the power and the faithfulness of the God of Israel. Not in their might, not in their smarts, but in the power and faithfulness of God their God. Now, our text is today taken from Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, beginning in verse 1. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the covenant. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass, verse 5, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Let's note a few things about Jericho before we go into the main points of our passage today. My message today 
is entitled, God Gives the Victory. Into the promised land, God gives the victory. And this victory is not only for the Israelites, but also for us today. God gave us his son 2,000 years ago. We have victory in Jesus Christ. We're like the Israelites. We're in a, we're in a wilderness right now, many of us. In our lives, our situations, we don't know what tomorrow holds. But we know who holds tomorrow. We know how the story ends. A few things about Jericho. The city of Jericho was a stronghold. What exactly is a stronghold? Number one, it's a place that has been secured tightly in case of attack. It's a fort, a fortified city. It's a well-protected military fortress, free. And this is kind of a spiritual connotation. The first two are physical. This is a spiritual, a place where a particular belief or ideology is firmly believed and staunchly defended. Let me say that last part again. A place where a particular belief or ideology is firmly believed or staunchly defended. We see in our country today the rise of many strongholds, do we not? I, I just know three of them, there are several, but there's a rising acceptance of socialism and communism in our country. That's a stronghold. Our country is not built for communism. This is a land of liberty, land of the free, home of the brave, not a totalitarian communist country. We're not made for that ideology. The rising acceptance of homosexuality and trans, transgenderism, that's a stronghold. Homosexuality stands in, in opposition to God's word. Where well, he said in the beginning, God made them male and female. Male and female, he created them. Transgenderism is the thing that says that a man could decide today that he's a woman. A girl could decide she's a boy. A girl could decide she's a... It's, 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 it's a situation where it defies logic. There's also the rising acceptance of Islam against Christianity in our country. These are some strongholds. Now... In demonstrating that this is a stronghold, Jericho was talking look what it says about Jericho in verse 1. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. Now, when I think about this, I think of the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember, when Noah commanded Noah to build the Ark, God commanded Noah to build the Ark, he said, build the Ark, and in seven days, seven days, I'm going to set a flood on the earth to destroy the earth. Judgment was coming to the earth. And Noah and his sons and their wives would be saved, and the animals. And then the word says that the Lord shut the door. Now, in that case, what God shuts, no man can open. Amen? In this case, Jericho was securely shut up. Its door, its gates was securely shut up. But they thought that could keep the God of Israel out and the Israelites out. But they were wrong. We know how the story ends. A few facts about Jericho. Jericho was a heavily fortified city of about 2,000 people. It was about six acres in size, not a very big town, not a very big city. Walls are about 46 feet high. It was also a fortified military outpost. This was a strategic point in the land of Canaan. Number four, it was a strategic location for success in the Israelite military campaign. Captain Joshua, Commander Joshua, regarded this as a very key point to take first, because in taking Jericho, he'd be able to take the rest of the land. Amen? 
My five points for our message today is number one. We need to recognize that the battle is the Lord's. We need to recognize that the battle is the Lord's. It's his Lord. It's always been his battle. It's still his battle. We're fighting a battle sometimes that we should not be fighting. It's God's battle. We need to recognize that. Here are a few passages that demonstrate that. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 44-45. And the Philistine said to David, the Philistine was David Goliath, by the way. That's Goliath. The Philistine Goliath said to King David, who was not yet king, Come to me, and I'll give you a flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you and take your head from you. And this day I'll give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines, the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. By the way, this is Rahab's grandson. You recall. He's not yet king, but he's been anointed to be king. Then verse 47. Here's the operative verse. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. As he gave Jericho into the hands of David's forefathers, he will not give this giant who would defy the God of Israel into David's hands. Amen? The battle is the Lord's. We need to recognize that the battle is the Lord's. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Here are four things that I listed that will help us as we fight the strongholds, the battles in our lives. Number one is prayer. We ought to be people of prayer, amen? The first refuge is prayer to our living God, the God who hears and answers prayers. We do not serve a God who is an idol with ears that does not hear, hands that does not hold. Number two, faith, absolute faith in God and in his promises. Number three, knowledge of God's word. We must know God's word for ourselves because the world has this idea of what's truth. But God's word is truth. There is no truth beside God's word. Number four, obedience to God's word. It's not enough to know God's word. We have to do God's word. Amen? Obedience to God's word. In 2 Chronicles, another demonstration of this idea that the battle is the Lord's. This is uh, King Jehoshaphat. He was at that time the leader of Israel. And these nations set themselves to come against Israel for what we don't know. But Israel has always been under attack. Amen? Even to this very day, Israel is under attack. There's something about this little nation that the devil wants to destroy. I don't know why. I have an idea, but it's not enough time to tell you what that is. So, verse uh, 1 in Second Chronicles chapter 20. It happened after this that the people of Moab, with the people of Ammon and others with them, besides the Ammonites, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Now, Moab, Moabites were descendants of Lot. 
Abraham's nephew. Moabites were cousins of the Israelites. In fact, one of the descendants of uh, Jesus was a Moabitess, Ruth. Amen? Now, verse 2. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Now, this is good. He feared. What did he do? He set himself to pray to the God of Israel, to seek the Lord, and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. This is serious. It was not only prayer, but also fasting. Prayer and fasting together is a powerful combination. When we seek the Lord, prayer is good. Prayer and fasting is a powerful combination. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. The entire nation came out, but they were in trouble. I first heard about this message about 20, 30 years ago. The pastor, the preacher at the time, a guest preacher of our church back in New Jersey, had a message titled, Pace Up to a Fight. Pace Up to a Fight. This was his passage. Then Jehoshaphat, verse 5, stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwell in it, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name? Are you not that God? Jump down a few verses. Verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. Here's what he said. Listen, all you of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, everybody, pay attention. Thus says the Lord God to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So we need to recognize that the battle is the Lord's. Now, secondly, we need to recognize that God's methods sometimes defy human understanding and tactics. God's methods sometimes defy human understanding and tactics. Many of us today go into some situations in our lives. We have no idea how we're going to get out of them. But I'm here to tell you, put your faith and trust in God. He'll deliver you through those situations. The way he does it may not always seem logical. You may have to be fired from a job to get a better job. You may have to lose a friend to get a better friend. You have to lose a loved one for God to be able to deliver into his task for your life. God's methods are not always logical, but they work. Going back to our verse today, Joshua chapter 3. So you think that Commander Joshua, having the task of destroying Jericho, would call his generals together, and they would devise a plan, maybe build a siege ramp, maybe count the number of soldiers, maybe get a battering ram. But no, God gave them the plan, and it didn't make sense. Here's what the plan said. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Covenant. 
But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat. Really? And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. I, I could just imagine what some of the soldiers are thinking. Who devised this plan? It's not going to work. Who has ever heard Who's ever heard of an impregnable wall falling down flat because people shouted? But they don't know the God of Israel. They didn't know the power of the God of Israel. Now, going back to Jehoshaphat and see what God did for Jehoshaphat, descendants of Joshua and the Israelites. Tomorrow, go down against them. Moabites, the Ammonites, they will surely come up by the ascent of Zin, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You see, God is telling them what's going to happen before it happens. <laughs> we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning. That's an awesome God. You will not need to fight in this battle. Encouraging. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Who is with you? O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear, or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Are you here today? Are you fearing something in your life right now? Is there a situation that you're grappling with that you don't have the answer to? Is there a situation that you just don't know how you're going to get through it? Trust in God, the living God. Verse 20, so they, children of Israel, rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Koah. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord. Now keep in mind, Jehoshaphat, like Joshua, did not call a military council. He called people together and put the praise team in front. <coughs> Strange. Illogical. Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Verse 22. Now when they began to sing, and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Israel. Now remember, when the priests stood in the water of the Jordan, the water parted. Remember? Now, when the people began to sing praise to the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Mount Seir, by the way, these are Edomites. These are the twin brother... This is Esau's kids. These are Esau's kids. Remember him? Who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Now let's read that again. Verse 22. Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon. 
Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. And they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So God, there are three nations. God set two against each other, and then the, other, the, the victor against the other, and they killed each other. Only God. Only God. Only God. Note a few things in this. If you're going through a tough situation right now, I want to encourage you. Instead of saying, God, please do this. God, please do that. Begin to praise him for what he's already done. Lord, thank you for delivering me to a new job. Lord, thank you for the health of my loved one. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Sing songs. Praise God beforehand. And sit back and watch what he will do. I've learned a long time ago not to pray for patience. And I encourage you today, don't ever pray for patience. Why? Because God doesn't pour it into your head and your heart. He puts you in situations that you've got to be patient. Traffic jams and other kind of jams. So don't pray for patience. But give God praise before. Because he knows the end from the beginning. He already has an answer for you. Give him thanks for the answer before you receive it. That's faith. God honors faith. The Bible says, just shall live by faith. Now, point number three. So we see that the battle is the Lord's. We see that God's methods and tactics defy human understanding. Point number three. We need to recognize that God gets the glory if God gives the victory. Amen? God says, I'm a jealous God. I will share my glory with no man. Still in, with Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles verse 25. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on their dead bodies and precious jewelry. Now, why would soldiers wear jewelry in Tibet? I have no idea, but <laughs> that's what it says here which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Now, God gave them the victory, but also the spoils of victory. And they didn't have to fight for this. Continuing in verse 26. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. For there they blessed the Lord. Now, keep in mind. There they blessed the Lord. The Lord who gave them victory, they blessed him. They worshipped him. They praised him. They thanked him. Therefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Baraka until this day. Then they returned every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, in front of them, leading them to go back to Jerusalem with joy, with joy, with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. That's the God we serve. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord has fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. How many times did God give them rest? You see, that rest was temporary. The rest that we are promised in Jesus Christ is permanent. It's eternal. Let me say that again. This little nation 
that God moved into a land he promised their forefathers had to fight battles for their rest. And they're fighting battles to this very day in Israel for their rest. But the promise that God gives us who are in Christ is that we'll have eternal rest in his son Jesus Christ. Point number four. So we see that if God gets the glory because he gets to give the victory. Now, the assurance of victory is based on obedience to the word of God. The assurance of victory is based on obedience to the word of God. You see, when we know the word of God, we must do the word of God. But God has said. God has said. Amen? Go back to Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king, and the mighty men of valor. All this army I've given into your hands. See, before it ever happened, God said, See. The walls were not yet crumbling down, but God said, See, I have given into your hand. As sure as I speak to you, it is already done. The victory is already won before you fire the single shot. Verse 10, now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, nor shall the word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. So imagine how difficult it must have been for roughly 40,000 soldiers to, to march around that city seven times, seven days, without saying a single word. Silence before the Lord is important, it's critical. Sometimes we're going through storms. We just need to sit, be still, know that he is God. Verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. The first day's work had been done. Verse 13. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. What must the people in Jericho be thinking about this? They're looking down from the walls. What are these crazy people doing? Are we going to be okay because that's their plan? To walk around our city and blow horns and all day, is that their plan? Is that the best they got? It took an hour, by the way, to go around the city once, an hour. So on the seventh day, they went around seven hours around the city. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early, about the dawning of the day, and marched around the city seven times in the same manner as before. But on that day... Only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened. On the seventh time it happened. When the priest blew the trumpets, then that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. God's strategy worked. God's plan worked. God gave the victory. Then the people went up into the city, every man, every soldier straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, and donkey with the edge of the sword. 
You see, the city needed to be cleansed. Canaan was a defiled land. The reason that God gave them the land was because the city of the Amorites had become ripe, had been, full, had been uh, fully uh, measured, had been, full measure been met. Our last point, point number five, in our message today, so we see that the assurance of victory is based on obedience to the word of God. And we call us today to do the very same thing, know the word of God and do the word of God. Point number five, the salvation of Rahab's household was based on her faith in Israel's God. The salvation of Rahab's household was based on her faith in Israel's God. You see, Rahab had heard about the part of the Red Sea. Rahab, by faith, chose to follow the God of Israel. And I got to believe that in those seven days that the Israelites circled the city, others had a chance to repent as well. But they didn't repent. Only Rahab repented and was saved. Verse 22, But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house. And from there, bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. And Joshua spared Rahab, the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom God whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. If you remember from our last message, Rahab is in the Hall of Fame. She is a heroine of our faith. She is the grandmother of David. She is the grandmother of Jesus Christ. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. You see, Rahab's faith and belief in the God of Israel saved her. Not only her, but her household. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. Amen? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Jesus once said to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Jesus said, but don't do what I say? And then I remember when God spoke from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John were there, and God spoke, he said, this is my beloved son, hear him. This is my beloved son, hear him. And Moses spoke in the Old Testament saying, God will raise up one like me, prophet like myself, him you must hear. What's this message? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what Jesus came to tell us. I want you to live and not die. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Verse 3. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, our faith, our faith overcomes the world. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
1 Corinthians chapter 5, 15, verse 15. Now this I say, brethren, Paul speaking, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We will not all die here. And the rapture is the next event that's going to take place in the history of our world. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. A what? A trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. You may be in a body right now that you don't like very much. It's a body that's sick. It's breaking down. You're hurting all over. But I want to encourage you that God has a new body laid up for you. One that will not hurt anymore, will not ever get sick ever again. Just hold on. Just hold on. Hold on to your faith in the living God. For this corruptible, verse 53, must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Guys, that's what this is all about from the very beginning. Adam and Eve sinned. They brought death into our creation, God's creation, and we die because of their sin. But God made a way for us to deliver us from death forever. Verse 55, O death, where is your sting? Because on the cross, Jesus Christ was crucified for us. He took the wrath of God on his own body for us. The penalty that we deserved, he took upon himself. So the sting of death, he took for us. Not only the shadow of death passed over us. The shadow of death passed over us. Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Verse 56. The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And they may not resonate with us as it should because we have not seen what a minute in hell is like. If we could only see what a minute in hell is like, then we would appreciate what Christ did for us on the cross. Because we have not seen what hell is like even for a minute, we don't always appreciate what Christ did for us and what awaits us in heaven. How can we? How can we? But by faith, we receive that. We believe God has promises. Verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We have to know God's word, and in this perverse, corrupt generation, stand up for God's word. What God's word said is true. We must live by God's word. Amen? Because the world wants us to defy and deny God's word. The world wants us to defy and deny Jesus. But I've made my choice, as Rahab did. I'm with the Lord. As Joshua said, and it said in Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Because God gives us the victory, and he will be glorified in the end. We'll be glorified with him. Brother Dan, would you come up? We're going to sing a song, and then I'll close in prayer. God gives the victory. God gives the victory.
Hey, we'll call it a baptism. It was referred to in the baptism. We'll call it.